there's a train that's about to pull out. You jump onto the train, you find a seat, you sit down, and the train leaves the station. And then you start getting slightly anxious. And so you turn to the person uh, next to you or in front of you and you say, um, where's this train heading? And they say, I don't know. Oh. Um, uh, where, did, where did you get on? Oh, I, I don't know. When, when are you getting off? I don't know, he says. What do you think to yourself? What a strange fellow. And yet that is the truth about so many people in the world today. With life. What is the point of life? We, we did uh, an interview on the streets um, a, a few summers back and it was sobering to me. What's the point of life? So many people just looked wistfully and said, I haven't got a clue. I don't know. We're just like that person on the train, sort of heading along, going somewhere. We don't know why the train's heading there. We don't know where it's heading. We don't know when we get off the train. And we're just sort of uh, fiddling away with all that uncertainty. Well, that's the truth of humanity. We are people who are cut off. Uh, because of our rebellion from God the creator. And we don't know why we're here. We don't know what life is about. We don't know whether it has any purpose or any point. We don't know when it's going to end. We don't know what a destination of our lives is going to be. That's where people are at. And yet we saw last week that uh, God promised in his word that to these um, sheep that are like Shepherdless sheep who are harassed and helpless, wandering all over the place because of their sin and rebellion against God, that God himself was going to come to shepherd his people, to gather a people to himself. And we've seen in recent weeks how over and over that the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures, written hundreds of years before the coming of Jesus, promised that he would come. And that Jesus is the fulfillment. Jesus is God come in human flesh to be that good shepherd king gathering a people to himself. And there's a glorious gospel. There's good news. There's actually a a way back to God. There is a, a way our sins can be forgiven. The way our rebellion can be sorted out. An amnesty. Uh, There is reason there is hope there is purpose there's a point to life and we know this because of Jesus and that's why it's been such a joy to work through the gospel of Matthew now the question is how does this gospel get to us how do we hear about it we're talking about events that happened 2,000 years ago We don't have a TARDIS to go back in time and space and and land there to hear what Jesus taught and uh, and see what he did. Uh, So how does this gospel become ours? Well, we don't need the TARDIS because we've got the Bible. Uh, Specifically, we've got the gospel accounts. Better than a TARDIS. There's only one TARDIS, but you can print lots of Bibles. And we can know exactly what Jesus said. And we, through the the writing here, can see what Jesus did. And we can come to find out the truth about who God is. And this amazing plan of gathering up lost, scattered sheep into his kingdom. Wonderful. Brilliant. 
Now the question is, how, how is it that we got this uh, New Testament? How is it we've got these gospel accounts? And this is kind of the point and the purpose of the text that's before us today. It is because Jesus called his disciples to go and be his apostles. And because they wrote down what they saw and heard, we've got this amazing gospel hope today. Now, I'm stressing that because people get bent out of shape on this passage. People can go off the wrong way on this passage, and I want us to be clear. We need to see that this is Jesus working out a plan for spreading uh, the good news of the kingdom of God. This is his plan worked out, how he's going to spread this good news that he is the king of that kingdom who has come. And we saw step one last week, which is why I've turned you to Matthew chapter 9. Remember what step one was? Step one was prayer. Look at uh, chapter 9, verse 36. So the big numbers are the chapter numbers, and the little numbers are the verse numbers. They weren't in the original scriptures, but they're there to help us find it. And if you look at the left-hand page there, 974, right-hand column, down at the bottom, number 36, and that's what we're looking at now. When he saw the crowds, Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. So what did he do? Verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. What was step one? He gets his disciples to pray. Jesus has this heart of compassion for the lost crowds, uh, like shepherdless sheep, and he wants his disciples to share his heart for the lost. And he says to them, join with me in praying for the crowds and pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out more workers into his harvest field. You see, the the thing is, actually, there are plenty of people who are ripe to come into the kingdom of God. But the problem is, there's not enough people going out to share uh, the good news with them and bring them in. That's the problem. And so step one, Jesus says to the disciples, would you pray with me about this? Now, can you imagine what they would have done at the end of this exhortation? What would you have done? Oh, let's go and get coffee. That would be a bit awkward, wouldn't it? Jesus just said, uh, I think we should pray about this, boys. What do you think they did? Uh, my guess, I mean, if the Lord Jesus tells you to have a prayer meeting, you have a prayer meeting, don't you think? And I would imagine they got together and they prayed firmly, Lord, Lord of the harvest, send out workers into your harvest field. At the end of that time, they sort of said, Amen, and said, well, let's go for coffee time now. And then what happens? Step two. Do you notice that this week? Step two. Step two. Just before the disciples head off for their coffee. Chapter 10, verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. You see, the compassion of Christ called his disciples to not only pray, but he called them to go. Isn't that clear? 
Yeah, it starts with prayer. Pray for workers. And you know what? As you, as you pray to be a worker, guess what? You become a worker and Jesus says, go. It's you. That's what happened to them. Now, I think it's important, as I've already said at the beginning, that we see that this passage, these instructions were written, were not given originally to us. These are not specific instructions to us. They are to these 12 disciples. He called his 12 disciples to him. And he gave them authority. These are the names of the 12 apostles. This is the first time of this use. Apostles. These are going to be the sent out ones who go with the authority of King Jesus. We've already read as we've worked through Matthew that uh, as he finished this amazing Sermon on the Mount, the people exclaimed, Wow! What great authority in his teaching. And then we, they witnessed his miracles and they said nothing like this has ever happened before in Israel. They, they saw his amazing authority over, over disease and demons and sickness and death. Wow, great authority. But then here's this amazing moment. Jesus has such compassion on the crowds that even though he's been engaging in this exhaustive uh, ministry that we read of last week in, in, chapter, in verse 35, going through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness, even after this exhausting mission, there's still hundreds of thousands of people who've not been reached by Jesus. They've not been touched by Jesus. They've not heard the message that Jesus brought. And so, because of the compassion of Jesus, he not only asks them to pray for workers, he sends them out as workers. But it's them that's specifically in mind here. If we got into that uh, Doctor Who TARDIS that can travel through space and time and, and we managed to land at this exact moment in time we, we got out of the TARDIS and we walked up to the 12 apostles as Jesus is beginning to instruct them, we would sort of, if we were kind of, you know, uh, a bit confident, uh, we might push in, push in amongst the 12 and they, I think they'd all stop and they'd look, they'd, look, they'd look at you, they'd look at me and they'd go, what are you doing here? This isn't for you. We, haven't, we actually haven't come to reach you yet. Push off. Did you see that in, the, in, in this section? Well, let's read it, shall we? Let's read it. Matthew chapter 10. Let's read the first uh, 15 verses. We're going to take a few weeks to work through this chunk of teaching. He called his disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the twelve apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon, the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. 
Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I'll tell you the truth. It'll be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you like sheep among the wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Do you see if we pushed up, they'd be saying, what are you doing here? They would to me because I'm a Gentile. This is not a mission to Gentiles like me. This was an initial primary mission, fast, quick, training mission that went first to the Jewish people. Um, Jesus picked these 12 men to be his uh, specific apostles, his sent out ones. They are commissioned by Christ to properly represent Christ. Uh, The men who would be the eyewitnesses of Jesus, who will be the foundation of the Christian church, uh, who will give us the apostolic gospel on which we take our stands. And the mark of their amazing special position is that they're given exactly the same authority to do the miracles that they saw Jesus do. What they saw Jesus do, he says, now you're going to do it as my representatives. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to heal every sort of disease and sickness. And and you're going to raise the dead. As they go about the primary task of preaching that the kingdom of heaven was near. Look at verse 7. As you go preach this message... The kingdom of heaven is near. These uh, miracles, these signs, are the authenticating marks of the apostles so that we know we've got the real deal. We've got God revealing his truth to us. Actually, as you read through the Bible, miracles don't happen very often. Are you aware of that? They only happen in very specific time points in salvation history. Often where the story of God's revelation is is being revealed in in another way. And so we have all the miracles at the time of Moses as God reveals his law at Sinai. All the miracles around that time. And then you've got the beginning of the prophets of Elijah and Elisha and their miracles around that time. As they are sent out to remind people of the covenant law which they are beginning to wander away from. And then the next real time of, of miracles is this time of Jesus and the apostles. The fulfillment of the Old Testament law and prophets. Three great phases of, of miracles so that we know that uh, this is the true gospel. We've seen it week after week, haven't we? How the Old Testament has promised different aspects of what it'd be like when Jesus comes. Uh, when, this, when God comes to rescue his people as, as a king and shepherd, then the blind will see it and, and the, 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 the mute will speak. The lame will walk. They prophesied that will be the day. And so we know when Jesus causes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak and the lame to walk, that this is the promised king. And as the disciples go out with this message of the gospel and they do the same miracles that Jesus did, it attests that the message that they're bringing is the truth about 
the king that God has sent. I think it's important, I'm stressing this, that this was not written to us, but it's important for us to see it's written for us. It's written for us. It is to give us confidence and assurance and authentication that this is the truth that we can build our lives on. But it's important that we get this right. Um, back in the 1980s, there was a man called John Wimber who became well known. And uh, I guess he, he, he hit the wider scene with his book, Power Evangelism. And he taught in that book that actually Christians were only doing half the job. Uh, the Christians who merely preached the gospel weren't doing the proper job. That we needed power evangelism, we needed the preaching of the gospel, and we needed to continue doing miracles and healings and so forth. And, and he said, you know, that's the great thing that's lacking. Once we've got power evangelism, then we're going to take the world. Um, I'll never forget reading a biography of David Watson, who was uh, one of the charismatic Anglican leaders, uh, a great evangelist, and had a great ministry. But later in life, he developed cancer. John Wimber came to David Watson in the, in the latter stages of his disease and, and, and prophesied over him that he'd be healed. And then went off, but David Watson died. Now some of the, uh, those who were followers of Wimber's uh, followed up on this a bit later when they asked David Watson's widow if they could dig up his coffin because they'd come to raise him from the dead. Now needless to say, that was very traumatic and painful for his widow to have to cope with these enthusiasts who were out of control. Now this is just a small piece of the nonsense that goes around when people do not correctly understand God's word. I don't doubt that God heals people, that he has healed people, that he'll continue to heal people. I don't doubt that God can raise the dead. He did raise the dead. We see the apostles raising the dead. But this is certainly not a part of God's word that teaches us that we as Christians should expect that we can do miracles like this. I'm sorry, I got a frog in my throat. <coughs> Jesus says to the apostles, go and preach the gospel there's a command raise the dead cleanse the leper and that's what they went off and they did I don't see that happening today uh, if we did we, if it was happening in Edinburgh today uh, the airport would be three times as big and they'd be flying in from all over the world no um I don't think today the, the gifts of healings are still something that we are given as individuals, although God can heal. And we still pray. And we've seen people get healed through prayer. But I think we've got to have the right understanding as we look at this passage. You see, this is a unique point in, in salvation history, isn't it? We saw verse 5 and 6. Uh, they're told to limit their outreach to a geographical area. They're just to the northern Israel. Don't go out to, down into the Samaritan towns. And they're only to seek the Jewish people, the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I don't think that this passage is teaching us, um, as our mission partners, I see the voices here today, good to see you. 
as mission partners head out that they, um, that they shouldn't take any money or a change of clothes with them when they leave us to take the gospel elsewhere. I think that would be to misunderstand and misinterpret this passage. This is before the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, actually, the message that the disciples are, are to deliver is not the full gospel, is it? It's an urgent announcement to people to prepare that the kingdom of heaven is near. It doesn't talk about repentance and faith. It doesn't talk about the cross because it hasn't happened yet. And the reason that it was near was because Jesus, the king of that kingdom, was near and traveling about. And, and so they're sending off as an advance party saying, have you heard? The kingdom is near. The king has come. Get ready. Now this teaching was not given uh, to us, but it's given for us. They were apostles, um, but we are called to be apostolic. That is to say that what we teach and proclaim is the message of the apostles. How does this message of hope and significance and forgiveness, how is it mine? It is because, praise God, the apostles were faithful, headed out, proclaimed the truth about Jesus, wrote it down, and that word has been written down through centuries, and we have now in an English translation called the NIV, so that the, this is ours. This is our hope. This is our confidence. Our mission is not Matthew 10. Our mission is in Matthew 28, isn't it? Not limited to a certain area. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Go into all the world. Make disciples of all nations, he says. That's the mission that we're on. And we are properly apostolic when what we go and preach and proclaim is the message of the apostles. Well, I say that because I think sometimes we get confused and bent out of shape with passages like this. The, the one big simple truth of this passage is that Christians are called to be part of the outreach and mission because of the compassion and the concern of Jesus Christ. Uh, we saw last week it was the compassion of Christ that caused him to go about and do this extensive work. And so uh, not enough people are reached, so he sends out his apostles to begin to reach those that he hasn't reached. And as we get on to the end of the story, he sends them out to say, well, make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples so that all the nations will be reached and sent out. Now, why is the Christian faith one that is a missionary faith, that is about evangelism, about growing? Well, because we have an evangelistic, missionary God. For God so loved the world. God loves the world. It is the compassion of God that reaches out, that has sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting God. Mission starts with God, his heart for the lost. And we see the Lord Jesus comes as the embodiment of God in human flesh. And what's his response to the lost crowds? It's compassion. It's love. That's what sends him out. The Apostle Paul, uh, who was perhaps the greatest missionary of all time, what was it that caused him to go despite all the beatings and shipwrecks and hardships and difficulties? What kept him going? Well, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, for the love of Christ, the compassion of Christ is what controls me. It compels me to go out and do this work. 
And so I would take it from this, that if, if we've lost interest in evangelism, outreach, and mission, what we've lost connection with is with the heart of God. We've lost connection with the compassion of Christ. We've lost connection with the, the founding apostles whose heart was for the lost. And that's why we're going to go back to basics in our fellowship groups uh, this term. We're going to do this material, six steps to talking about Jesus. Yeah, it's, it's, it's going back to basics. And you might think, well, yeah, I know, I know that. Yeah, yeah, you know that, but are we doing that? Are we doing that? I know we know that, but are we doing that? And so we're going to go back to basics in our fellowship group starting this week, and we're going to start looking at this topic of, of how do we talk to the lost about Jesus, the only hope. And the first session, do you know what it's about? It's about love. The love of God that shapes us to have love for the lost. So I'd encourage you, get stuck in. Get back into fellowship groups uh, this week. Get involved. It is the compassion of Christ that causes disciples not only to pray, but to go. D.A. Carson says this, As faith without works is dead, so also is prayer without mission. Prayer without mission is dead. Now at this point, um, I know that we're probably all starting to come up with a, a list of excuses um, of how this really doesn't apply to me. Yes, has it already begun for you? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, I know that, but that's what's going on in our heads right now. Uh, yes, but um, I'm too ordinary. Uh, I'm too old. I'm too useless. I'm too uh, lacking in gifts. I'm the wrong personality. You, do, you know what? I'm too, I, I'm too, I'm, I'm too, too many failings, too many weaknesses. It, it's, it's not me. But notice with me who Jesus did call. There's the list in verses uh, 2 to 4. He called ordinary people, didn't he? With faults and weaknesses. Look at that list of names. Think about what we know about them. Peter Granger last week passed this on to me. An imaginary report sent out by a management consultancy company. Thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you've picked for managerial positions in your organization. All of them have now taken our tests. We've also arranged personal interviews for each one of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the staff opinion that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for this kind of enterprise you are undertaking. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude which would tend to undermine morale. And we feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew has been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. <laughs> James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot definitely have radical leanings and both registered high on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. We recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All the other profiles are self-explanatory. We wish you every success in your new venture. It's quite a list, isn't it, of names? Do you notice they're not famous? 
They're not well-connected. They're not the wealthy. They're not the influential. These are not the most educated. They're not the brightest and the best. They're not the towering academics. None of them have done a theology degree, let alone a doctorate. And at this stage, they still hadn't fully understood everything about Jesus and, and his plan of salvation. They were ordinary, humble people. Fishermen, outcasts, unknown. And these are the ones he picks. They're famous now because they're the 12 disciples, the apostles. But actually, for many of these men, we hardly know anything about them at all. But these are the ones he sends out. And down through history, this is the way that God has often acted, hasn't he? There have been some significant, influential, educated people who've become Christians, but not many compared to the majority of pretty ordinary folk like, dare I say it, me and you. And yet, uh, this is the ones that God sends out. This is the ones that Christ sends out. A kingdom for ordinary, average sinners who turn to Jesus for forgiveness and, re- and, re- and, re- and rescue. Jesus uses ordinary people like us who have compassion on the lost. I'm not going to get through all the points, but let's just do a couple more. Um, what else can we learn from here? Well, in verses 5 to 8, notice that they are sent out with this authenticated message. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Do you see that they don't have um, a choice of the message that they're going to give? Uh, they are not to come up with their own message. They're not to modify Jesus' message. They are to give the message that Jesus gave. And we go out not to come up with a a message that we think is going to be palatable and acceptable to uh, modern ears, we have to go out with the apostolic gospel. We need to tell people the truth, that they are sinners and rebels before God, and they face his just judgment. And so we must repent of our sin and put our faith in Christ, who died in the place of sinners, that, that as we do that, as he died in our place, he turned away the wrath of God. And made peace and forgiveness possible. This is the apostolic gospel that we must proclaim and hold to. And yes, just as we receive this good news freely, it is something that we should extend freely. Why do we take up uh, an offering? Why do we encourage people to give? Well, actually, we don't ask the world to give. Every Sunday we say, look, if, 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 if you don't want to give, that's fine, don't give. We, we, we want to offer the gospel freely. We want to just pass it on. Um, but actually the next point here in verses 9 to 10 is that the workers in the harvest are worthy of support. Look at verse 9 and 10. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff. For the worker is worth his keep. Why no extras? Well, because there's urgency, there's haste. This is a short-term mission. Uh, These are sort of things, if they take preparations, it would just take too long. Just go as you are, he says. Don't take anything extra. All that stuff will slow them down. How are they going to cope? Well, the worker is worthy of their keep. Remember what the prayer was? The harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. And the truth is, as people go out with the gospel and offer it freely to others, those whose lives are changed by the gospel, who experience this liberating power, 
they want to be those who support those who sacrifice to bring the message to them. It's one of the responses of the gospel that we actually want to give of our money to support the work of the gospel. And Jesus anticipates that will be the case for the disciples as they go on mission. Don't charge, but actually the Lord will take care of them through his people. Um, the Apostle Paul makes the same point in 1 Corinthians, doesn't he? That he chose to be a tent maker because he didn't want to have to charge for his ministry. And yet in the very same chapter, he argues for how gospel workers have the right to be paid for their ministry. It's right and proper. It's a, it's a great privilege that so many people at Charlotte have taken on this responsibility to give, to further the work of the gospel through this church and through our gospel partners throughout the world. Because of your giving, gospel workers are going out not only here in Edinburgh, but throughout all the world. Isn't that exciting? Uh, Hudson Taylor, the uh, China Inland Missionary, famously said this, God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Lastly, just quickly, as he sends them out, he sends them out with the knowledge that they should expect a mixed response on this mission of eternal significance. Look at verses 12 to 15. Uh, as you enter the home, as you, well, verse 11, when you enter a town or village, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. And um, the idea of a worthy person is not to find the nicest house, um, and the, and the plushest accommodation. It's fact, finding someone who will accept the message of the kingdom that they're proclaiming. That's a worthy person. And as they, as they find a house like that, stay there until they leave. Go into the house and greet the people in the house. The, the phrase they would say that as a greeting would be, peace be on this house. It was a custom of the day. But at special significance here because these uh, preachers of the kingdom were saying how you could have peace with God. You could be reconciled with God. And so as they come bringing this message of peace, the people of the households receiving would truly experience that peace. But what happens if they uh, are not welcomed? And Jesus says, well, you can expect that. Verse 14, if anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. The pious Jew, who, if he was traveling on business to Gentile territory, as he came back to Israel, he would uh, shake the dust off his clothes and off his feet because he believed that the, even the dust of Gentile territory was unclean and he didn't want to bring it back to Israel. And Jesus says to his disciples, you know what? If people will not accept you as messengers of the kingdom, as, as my, uh, my apostles... Then as you leave, you shake the dust off your clothes and your feet. It's quite a statement, isn't it? This house is like the lost Gentiles, even if it's a Jewish home. Because they've rejected the Jewish Messiah, the only King and Savior. But as they head out, Jesus prepares them like a good coach. They don't go out thinking, hey, everyone's going to love us. It's going to be great. No, they go expecting that there's going to be a mixed response. And we're going to come and consider that a little bit more next week and get some help as we think about how we deal with a hostile culture. Now this uh, last week, did you remember to pray? Remember how we closed off last Sunday, if you are here? 
you weren't here, you've got a free pass, haven't you? Free pass. But if you were here, we finish off by saying, would you daily pray this prayer? Please send out workers from Charlotte Chapel into your harvest field. Did you pray that prayer? Well done if you did. There's grace if you didn't. Well, guess what we learn as we come to Matthew chapter 10? As we pray the Lord will send out workers and the Lord puts that on our heart, guess what? He turns around and he says, go. I'm sending you. I'm sending you. And we're going to learn more about that uh, in the next few weeks. Let's pray.